Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Ryan Ireland. You can find me at ryanireland.com. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And today our guest is Joe Rinaldi of That Was Clutch. Joe is a sales strategist and advisor on good business development for client services agencies. Joe is also the former VP of business development at Happy Cog, and he's spent the last several years working with agencies and internal teams on their business development. So I know a lot of people, Andrew, are listening to this podcast. They're probably independent consultants or maybe in charge of a small agency or somehow involved in helping potential clients and customers understand how their services can help them. So I think what Joe has to offer, even if you're more technical, what Joe has to offer in terms of advice and insights, and I think just pure motivation. I like talking to Joe. I think he motivates me to get out there and stand up for yourself and for your experience and your skill and your talents. So hopefully all of this will apply to anyone that's listening. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. And Joe, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Joe, so you're on an outdoor basketball court in Philadelphia playing a game of pickup basketball. Okay. You're running point and you lay down some shake and bake on LeBron James. You blow by and you dunk on him. Now, just <laughs> wow. after you wag your finger at the crowd assembled along the sidelines of the concrete court, mm. LeBron turns to to you and asks, hey, Joe, after this basketball career is done, I want to get into consulting, but I'm afraid of pitching clients and losing business. I don't like <laughs> losing, Joe. I rarely lose. What advice do you have for me? I have, I have good news. I have glad tidings that I am of the strong opinion in client services in particular that you need to sell like you can't lose. You have to adopt an attitude of you can't lose because you can't. I run into this dilemma with my clients all the time. They're sweating or scared of some big pitch that's coming up. They're worried about it. They're like, getting in their own heads about it. And initially, just to calm their nerves, I would say like, listen, what's the worst that can happen, man? You're already not working with them. So the worst that'll happen is the situation persists. Nothing's going to change. And truly what that means is all you can do is win. You can't, you have nothing to lose. There's nothing that exists already. So if you can't lose, if there's nothing to lose, then why behave in an economy of scarcity, afraid that this lead's going to get away and drive yourself into a panic? I think that confidence in sales is it spackles over a lot of stuff. And if you can adopt that kind of attitude for any one of a variety of reasons, it doesn't have to be because you're a narcissistic wacko. It can be for any one of a variety of re reasons, but adopting that kind of attitude of all I can do in this scenario essentially is win. I really have nothing to lose. So I might as well just be authentic, be myself, see what happens. Now that sounds, Joe, remarkably similar to a speech that I gave a friend of mine in college mm. when he was getting, he was getting all kind in his own head about asking a girl out. I'm like, what do you have to lose? You're already a loser that stays home on Saturday <laughs> nights. Like, you might as well just ask her out. What's the big deal? Yeah. And you know what he said? He said to me, he said, you know what I have to lose? I have my pride to lose. That's what I've mm. got to lose. My pride and my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And and I said, man, you don't have that either. It's like, like who cares? Just, go, just, just, just ask her anyway. Yeah. In this scenario, you'll be at home on a Saturday and you'll have a better story to tell because you yeah. took a swing at this. Yeah. And that's honestly, but that, Andrew, that is what prevents people from doing this is yep. fear of the unknown. It's just, it's a lack of familiarity. It's, it's you know, most folks that I consult with because I consult with largely agency owners or, or practitioners in this field, none of them went to school to get an MBA in business or to focus on sales. They're all practitioners who are who are incredibly capable at an incredibly 
quiet, isolating craft. Those people, by and large, tend not to be born salespeople. So getting into these kinds of conversations where you feel like you're selling and you feel like the stakes are high, it's the client and vendor dynamic, which is fraught, compounded with, I'm trying to use a muscle that's under-exercised, compounded with just the state of affairs of your business or, or other things that are swirling around. And it's amazing to me when I talk to people about their approach to business development, like just how much agency and control and autonomy and leverage they just willingly give away without realizing it and adopt this posture of that the clients out there with brass rings they're handing out and you're swinging by hoping they'll they'll bless you with one. It's fascinating. And, and generally speaking, everybody has a handful of simple things they can do to improve and see a measurable difference in at least your approach. I can never, and I never speak to aiming at outcomes. I am I'm from Philadelphia. I am a Philadelphia basketball fan, as Ryan indicated. I believe strongly. Like I believe strongly, <laughs> trust the process, and really be process oriented, not not outcome oriented. You can't control the outcome. The outcome is outside of your hands. And on top of all of that, I think the biggest realization I've had in my time working in client services is something that Mike Montero has said a million times. Nobody went to school to learn how to be a client. None of the clients on the client side got training in picking digital partners, in evaluating potential vendors, in managing this process. And even the people that do it quite a bit have shockingly few reps talking to, evaluating, and picking partners to work with. Maybe they've done it up to five times. If you're an agency owner, you're hopefully considering or responding to dozens of leads, hundreds of leads. The amount of experience that we have on this side so far dwarfs clients' experience on their side. But I, we don't go into it perceiving that's the dynamic. We go into it perceiving that they're the, the gatekeeper and the key master, and, and we're hoping to catch their eye. That is a good point that as an agency owner, or even independent consultant, you likely have more reps selling your work and doing that type of interaction than the person that you're that you're selling to or that you're you're trying to get hired by. Listen, uh, you're the they're paying you. You're yeah. not paying them. They're paying you. Obviously, you bring something valuable to the table because the money's moving in this direction. So quantifiably, by math. The, you can diagnose where a lot of the value resides. So, so I, but I, yeah, that, that is fundamentally, I think what people get in their own head about is they perceive this power dynamic and they, they kind of back themselves into a disadvantageous corner. So you said, I know you have the, one of your mantras is why I set it up like this is you can't lose. And yeah. so it's not necessarily, I mean, you can lose the pitch, right? You cannot get the job and lose in that sense, but you're not losing something you already had, which is, which is your point. But you also, is it also the case though that you can gain, you can win other things from that experience, especially if you're new at pitching? Sure. And and I think I I would say that one of the, and I I find it hard even to stick to this myself because habits are hard to break. And I am fundamentally in the habit of evaluating sales from a win-loss perspective. But I'm I'm working my best to move away from even that kind of terminology. I, I think it's helpful if you look instead at each one of these interactions as an opportunity and the opportunity persists along a timeline as long as it persists. And sometimes it persists and becomes a paid engagement and you're contracted and working with a client and it evolves into that kind of place. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't, but you reconnect with them later. These things are all on a continuum. And essentially, I think if you adopt that attitude, the other powerful thing about that attitude is you can start to adopt 
a posture of the project starts the first time we start talking. This is the project. This is who I am. This is what you'll experience. This is what it's like to work with us. The project started today. Now you, the client, you get to decide if we pass a point where you start paying for the project, but the project already started. We're moving in that kind of positive direction. If for some reason it doesn't move into some kind of contracted engagement or retainer or project, I think one of the dangerous things of a win-loss attitude is it's over. To build this idea of, well, that, then it's over. Like we pitched against five other agencies. One of them got it. We lost. That's it. It's over. And the other thing I found is all of those relationships, all of those relationships are incredibly valuable. I think that we, in client services, I think we're obviously going to value our clients and we send some them holiday gifts and things like that. Like that's a good expression of like how people value their clients. I think there's a lot of past clients you might value too, where, you know, I made a lot of money with that person for five years. It's worth sending a Christmas card to that person. All of your near misses, all of the clients that considered you and went in a different direction are incredibly valuable as well. And eventually they're going to need another team. Eventually they're going to change jobs and need to hire somebody. Somebody's going to ask them for a recommendation. I think if you if you don't just look at this as a win-loss binary kind of outcome, instead it's the, okay, well, we're not going to work with them on this project, but it's a continuum. So how am I going to revisit this person strategically a couple of times in the next couple of years just to stay in front of them? And how am I going to make sure that when the time comes and they're being asked for a recommendation for an agency like mine, that they provide three recommendations, the agency they chose and the other two that were their favorites, and I was one of them. I think that's part of what you have to understand and adopt in all of this. The part of my process in working with agencies often is I'll talk to and interview their clients. I'll interview past clients. And I'll occasionally interview clients that chose a different agency. And the shocking thing that I've learned too in this whole no one went to school to learn how to be a client realization is they don't have a laundry list of agencies they want to work with. They're not spending a lot of time updating that list and finding cool new teams to work with and adding people to their roster. It's a small list to start. The longer they stay on the client side, the older that list gets and the less frequently they update it. And when it comes time for we need to find another agency, there's the five people they talked to a year ago. There's one or two others they might be aware of. One more they might get recommended. You're still one of the inside track folks in that conversation, despite the fact that they pick somebody else. And not for nothing, what I've also diagnosed is if you ask clients, I think, and this is a gross generalization and I don't have the Nate Silver math to back this claim up, but just my gut, based on what I've heard and, and talked to clients about, I think if you went and out went out and interviewed clients and asked them, and how frequently has the vendor you've hired or the partner you've hired delivered fantastic work? They would say no more than 50% of the time. 50% of the time, or it's been not great, or it's been okay, or it's been whatever. Now, to be fair to us on the client services side, one out of three times, it was their fault and they just don't realize it. So that number 50 is probably higher and inflated than it should be because they're the ones that actually screwed this that project up that had a bad outcome. Outcome and, and they're blind to their responsibility in that. But let's just say that it's a 50-50 split, successful and unsuccessful projects. Well, if I was one of five agencies that they considered, they pick somebody else and I stay in touch with them, there's a 50-50 chance that was a bad experience. They're not going to go back to that agency again. They're going to want to go to somebody in the future. I'm the one that got away or I'm the one that was miscongeniality of the whole thing runner up. And when it comes time to pick somebody, they're sure as hell not going to go back to somebody they had a bad experience with. They're going to pick the favorite from the remainder or they're going to add a couple of people to the mix. But you've got to stay connected to them or, or keep that kind of opportunity alive to have the opportunity to be the people they reach out to two years from now four years from now, when they get a new job, whenever it is that they need to dust off the the Rolodex, it's five index cards deep. Just rewinding a little bit about the, I'm going to 
get back to the idea of not losing when you are potentially not getting a gig, but you started that relationship, right? You do have a card in their Rolodex now because you did pitch a project and then you can, you'll maybe be on the list. Perhaps I've seen it in the past where didn't get the work because the person doing the hiring for that gig was obligated to go with big corporation X. Um, Whether that's because they they know they will never get in trouble by going with big corporation X or because of something else. So it it was kind of stacked against you, but now that person really likes you. They like your work. They're perhaps a fan outside of their own job or a fan of the, of part of the industry you're in. And so you, now you have a card in their Rolodex and they might come to you for another very, maybe more narrowly scoped project or something that gets you in the door with the project. So you're still laying the groundwork. So in that sense, you're not losing, right? Because you are creating those connections. feels like we're, yes. we're kind of coming back to networking in a sense. hundred percent. Exactly right. And then that's what you have to imagine this is more than this is. A, a dating game pass fail kind of situation. No, this is networking. This is building your Rolodex. This is growing your network. And then it's also important to revisit and cultivate your network. I say all the time too, that if you've been doing this for five or 10 years, then your enemy is not, I haven't heard of you. Your enemy is, oh, I didn't think of you at the time for the thing you would have been great for eight months ago because I just didn't think of it or I didn't realize you build in that CMS as well or I didn't realize that you'd be interested in this kind of work. That's the enemy for anybody that's been doing this for more than a minute. If you've been doing it for a little while, recency bias is real and you have to make an effort to, you know, and this is a horrible metaphor because it shows that I'm 46 years old that I would even think of this, but it's like a library card catalog. So there were these things called libraries. And in libraries, they used to have card catalogs with index cards sorted in them. And essentially, it's like taking the index card in their brain. Every time they meet somebody, they put a new one in there and it bumps all the ones back. And when you reach out to somebody and reconnect and say hello, you're bumping the card back up to the front, updating the information on it with the current information and giving them a better chance to accurately recall you when the time comes and say, oh, like I didn't realize that agency XYZ builds in Drupal as well as WordPress. I do know that now. And when this person asked for an agency that works in Drupal, I can recommend this agency I'm crazy about that if not for that call two months ago where they told me they'd been working in Drupal for the past three years and I just didn't know it, I would never have recommended them because of that they were a WordPress exclusive shop and would have never crossed my mind to recommend them into that project. And I would love to recommend them because they did great work. It's just my misunderstanding of them or I didn't think of them at the time because those dots didn't connect. That's what would have prevented me from making that recommendation. Not that they're not great. It's that I just didn't realize they were a fit for that too. So that's part of cultivating and grooming that network is staying in touch intentionally and walking that whole thing forward in an authentic, non-sweaty, just philosophically positive way. I mean, that, that's the hard part, I think, for a lot of folks is figuring out the emotional trigonometry of how frequently to check out, how to check in, how to reconnect, the, the blocking and tackling of that. I think most people rely on their instincts and they are, oh, it's been a while since I talked to Andrew, so I'm going to reach out to this person. It's been a while since I talked to Ryan, I'm going to reach out to this person. Odds are, if that's the way that an agency is managing this, you're grossly behind reaching out to that person. You're forgetting and omitting people left and right. We are, all of us, bad computers. So <laughs> I suck at remembering to reach out to people and then they suck at calibrating me accurately into what I do and what I want to do without me giving them the benefit of that direction without giving them that information. So there's a lot of well-intending people out there 
trying to do the right thing. But again, diagnosing how these things fit together is not easy. So it's not a surprise when they fail time and time and time again to make this amazing connection they could have made if only they knew this person was interested in doing that kind of thing and could have connected those dots on their behalf. In a post-Epstein world, Joe, I don't know how I feel about you grooming me, but in any event, there are <laughs> <laughs> some analogs. And again, everything I learned, I learned in college, apparently, that I needed to know. But I had another friend of mine in college mm. that his name was Ed. Mm. And I still remember going to a dance with him. Not He wasn't my date. Okay, We just went there. Yeah. We went there together. Yeah, no, free zone. That's fine. I'm just clarifying. And we watched him. You know, the girls were standing over there. The guys were standing over there. And we watched him go up to a girl ask her to dance and she said no and then literally like he walked over to a girl like three to five feet from her asked her to dance and she said and he you know he just kept on going down the list and then eventually one of them said yes and and you know we're all sitting there kind of like making fun of him like oh look at you dummy you know you're getting rejected everywhere and then we kind of looked around at each other and we're like uh we're just standing on the sidelines and he's actually out there dancing with somebody you know yeah. mm-hmm I asked him about it. I said, Ed, you know, doesn't it doesn't it bother you when they, they reject you and they say no? He's like, I don't care. I don't care about the ones that say no. I, I just need one of them to say yes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar with, I would imagine, landing a contract with a client. Like, you know, don't take it personally. It's not a big deal. Maybe it's not a fit or whatever. Move yeah. on to the next one. I think that, that the best way I can think to help people overcome the fear of that rejection is kind of what Ryan was saying. Ryan, you were saying this earlier. Even that failure to move forward is a learning experience, right? Like there is something, there's knowledge to be gained in the interaction, even if there's not revenue to be gained, perhaps, because you didn't wind up working on the work. But the other part of it that I focus on beyond just, you know, it's worth it to get your reps in. I encourage my clients to lose for the right reasons. So again, it's this clunky win-loss language, but losing for the right reasons to me is at least go out there and put your vision forward for how you would do it, put your all your credentials on the table, all of the capabilities or, or your particular point of view on how you would do the thing. And if they reject you for that reason, then it's a good thing that they rejected you because they rejected all the good things about you. So if you go out there and take everything you think could be a weakness and market them as a strength, take everything that could be a strength and double down on those things, put the best, clearest vision of who you are forward, really expose them to that, whatever that is. It could be that our agency is really kooky and we're going to use weird filters on our Google Hangouts and stuff. And if they are freaked out by that and they don't want to work with you, then they're rejecting you for the right reasons because they're not going to be a great partner. They're not into the special parts of you that are special. So part of it is identifying about yourself. What are the Magna Carta things about you that you would never want to betray? What are the most important things about the way you do the things you do, how you think about it, whatever that is, and find a way to put that stuff front and center in the process, whether it's the way you manage a meeting, the things you say, whatever that is, the follow-up, whatever the hell that is. Make sure that that experience is authentic to what is special about you. And then again, if they decide that somebody else was a better fit, then everybody wins in that scenario because they're rejecting me for the things they should be excited about. And then if they pick you or they want to work with you, they're picking you for all the right reasons. They're picking you because of they are excited about this crazy ass model you have. They are excited because you're an agile shop. They are excited because you're doing things this way. They're excited for the right reasons. So part of the trap that people fall into is I want to reduce as much friction in the sales process as possible so that I can increase the likelihood that this is going to be puzzle pieces that fit together and smooth sailing. And I just want to make sure that everything is perfectly pinpoint precise for the for the guests so that when they sit down, it's perfect for them and there's no friction. And I think that 
friction happens at some point. You just get to decide when. And I would rather have the friction now, right now, in the sales process, right up front, experience whatever that is. This is what's weird about us. This is what's different about us. This is what's cool about us. Get it out there now and then not have it show up on a bad Thursday in the middle of the project when money's changing hands and the stakes are much higher and that friction's going to make an appearance. So I think trying to get all that on the table as best you can, for, it's, it's a multi-step process. Part of it is diagnosing what are those things, what it is about yourself, your team, whatever that you think is special or that you feel strongly about, whatever that is, and then ensuring they, they say it three times. I want to say it once and they nodded. I said it a third, second time, they nodded again. I said it a third time, they nodded a third time. I know they heard me when I said, we're a distributed team with developers in Kazakhstan and Bibbidi Bop and all these things. They didn't mishear me. They heard all of that and they're still excited about us. They're going to be a great partner. So, and, if, and then in those cases where you where it doesn't work out, you can reassure yourself that they don't want somebody that's got multinational distributed team. That's not a, that's a bug, not a feature to them. They don't, they, you know, they're scared of that. They don't like the fact that we're a small focused shop. They want a big model. Cool. Then they're better off not, we're better, both better off having avoided this project kind of sold and bought under false pretenses and then realizing halfway through, oh shit, is that really what, just get it all out there and then sleep like a baby knowing that you lost for the right reasons if, if in fact it didn't go your way. And getting back to you can't lose, even if you don't get the job, yeah. in theory, you're getting better at the pitch. It's one of the things Absolutely. I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, I tell them, you're going to try something new and you're going to suck at it. Don't get discouraged. This is normal yeah. that you try something right. new. You're not going to be good at it. It's okay. The way you get good at something is by practicing. So at the very least, you're going to get that out of it, right? Absolutely. And if you, again, if you wound up being authentic to who you are and didn't move forward, when and if that client refers something your way, they're going to refer the right thing. They're not going to refer a lead that's looking for a massive agency. When you made it painfully clear, you're a small agency. They're going to refer a small agency with a quirky sensibility that's an agile shop, the bibbidi bop, all these things, they're going to make a better introduction on your behalf because they have a better idea of who you actually are. Not that you're whatever they needed to be whenever you needed to be it. Not that you're mirroring them. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that people, Ryan, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about there are pitches that you and I have been on together that one was authentically 100%. This is who we are. Buy it or don't buy it. Get on board or get out of the way. And we've been on pitches where it's been, ah, uh, let's kind of try to be a little bit more like the home team here and mm. look yeah, a little bit more say- like the, the, the perils of trying to be the chameleon consultant where you're you're uh-huh. kind of changing based on what you think the client wants, the potential client wants, or maybe you act big because they're big or you act yeah. straight laced because they're straight laced instead of yeah. being yourself. But you could get you could get the project, but then you're you're oh, gonna yeah. pay as when the project gets further along and you realize like, oh, we aren't a good match. This is 100%. not yeah. If and you then were, you're not, if then you, you actually are losing at that point, absolutely. right? Because if you're you, damaging not you only win the work. that you win yeah. the work, but you're you're actually in, in a business and a contractual relationship at that point, and you're causing yes. all sorts of damage. 100%. If you win the Nike work because you wore Nikes to Nike, then shame on you. That's an easy move, and that's not... That's not being authentic to who you are if you typically wear Pumas or whatever. And what happens is the stakes are so much higher when they're paying for it, when they've declared to their peers and managers that they picked you as the partner. This is a stinky cologne that lingers if a project goes south. And people on the enterprise side, and this is another huge generalization, but it applies in a lot of industries. Many times on the on the enterprise client side, they're trying to hunker down and be there for a few years. They're trying to gain equity and get a promotion and get that office and move around within the organization. Agency life, freelance life, 
on our end of the equation, if somebody's been somewhere for two years, they're like an OG and a veteran, like, holy crap, two years. And then you talk to somebody that works in a Fortune 100 and it's, no, I've been here for 12 years. I've been here for, she's been here for 17 years. And when you're measuring that on that kind of timeline, if you're the author of a really like crappy project, that is going to hover over your head like a little rain cloud the entire time you work at Enterprise XYZ. So save yourself and them the hell of that by putting your cards on the table, letting them make an informed decision about who they're going to partner with and who they're choosing not to partner with. Because heaven forbid, heaven forbid it turns up on the wrong day when you're close to a deliverable and they haven't been paying attention to the project that they should have. And all of these variables add up and add up and add up and add up to hell in a phone call because you're now dealing with that. So again, I get where people feel the urge to make things easy to buy. But all you're really doing is putting friction in a a box that has like a faulty lock on it and putting it up on a shelf and hoping that it's not going to open up and fall on you at some point during the process. And I feel like more often than not, those things come to light. More often than not, there is going to be an experience of that later on. And again, like once money's changing hands, once you're up against a deadline, once these expectations are set, it's a much more dramatic and traumatic conversation at that point than, you know, okay, we're not going to, we're going to go with somebody else. And and then you're not not in the Rolodex anymore at that point, right? Because- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. In in terms of people share their bad experiences just as much as they share their good experiences with a a consultant. So, you know, it's it's always, and again, I think it can be very complicated too because it can work on on both sides. There's some projects just don't go well. Sometimes the the agency or the consultant doesn't have their stuff together. Sometimes the, the client doesn't have their stuff together or don't realize actually what it takes to partner on a project in in a way that will work. So it it can be very difficult. Joe, one thing that I like to think about is, and I value a lot, especially with Andrew, and I talk to you as well, is getting perspective that's not mine. Because you might think that you're selling really well. You might think Mm -hmm. that you have it all dialed in, Mm -hmm. but you have this saying that you can't read the label from inside the jar. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean in terms of selling? And if I'm a, I'm just like an independent consultant, I think I got my selling process down. I'm selling whatever, a couple hundred thousand dollars of, of work a year. I've I've got it down, but um, but maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm yeah. you know, I'm not getting the best projects that are for me and I'm maybe I'm burning too many hours, you know, doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. But what yeah. does it mean when you can't read the label from inside the jar? Well, I think a lot of people have a more acute experience of this when they level up within their skills because they understand or grow to learn how somebody else does the same thing they do as a practitioner. You go and you work with another developer and then you see they set up their files this way that's slightly different than yours or they do this slightly differently. And then, oh, I'm going to pull that into what I do because I get a chance to peek into somebody else's process. And I think that because the folks that do this work or run these agencies tend to be practicing developers, practicing designers, they're, they're engaged in that process. They're following people, they're, they're reading people, they're watching videos, they're learning about all of these elements of their craft and they're getting better at it because they're peeking over the hedge and learning from their peers or learning from their managers. And the logic just applies the same way to the secondary and tertiary parts of your business that are not designing and coding. Part of your business is push and payroll. Part of your business may be sales. Part of your business may be all these other pain in the ass things that are a part of client services that aren't design and dev. They aren't the, the core of what you do. 
but the same thing applies. The more you can benefit from someone's outside opinion, or at least peek over the hedge into how they do things, the more options you can consider, the more you can borrow and steal and and, and copy from other folks. And I think the, the thing that prevents people from doing it most often is it's the thing they like to think about least. So I don't want to think about how to run payroll. So I don't go and ask like five other agencies what software they use to run payroll. I don't similarly on my own skill build beyond my own homegrown idiosyncratic process. And that's the other thing I find too is when I go in and I do like a diagnostic on how someone sells, how do you kind of apply your effort in all these places? How do you do these things? What you find is they've built a platypus. They've built this really weirdly evolved thing that's been isolated and hasn't had the benefit of exposure to other things. And they hunker down and hunker down and hunker down and hunker down. And eight years later, this is really weird what you're doing here. Or this is really your own thing that you... And and again, because it's something that they're not as experienced and they're really self-conscious about it too. I don't know what I don't know about this. I don't know what else there is to know. And I don't know what I could be doing differently. So I think that it, it winds up becoming this uh, version of handcuffs kind of where I've been doing it this way for a while and I've gotten better at doing it my way. And it's the stressful thing that I do. And I don't want to spend more time talking about it than I have to. And I want to code. I want to do things that I like to do. I want to mentor my team, whatever that is. I want to do the things I like to do. It's eating your vegetables. People don't go out of their way to do that typically if they don't enjoy that. So I think that it's incredibly valuable to have peer opinions, client opinions. Like there's a lot of people that you can go to for a perspective on this. And, and I think people feel isolated, but they don't realize how many options they have. Go to your clients, interview them. They're your users. Find out from them, you know, this project went really great. Cool. Really fun to work with you. Glad we're staying in touch. Let me ask you a question. When you were making this decision, now that we're boon companions and, and have all this positivity flowing, what parts of our process, if you can remember six months ago, what parts of our process bumped for you? What did we do that you would have been like, eh, I would have done that differently? Or what could we have done better? And how could we have done that better? If you have a good relationship, you know, they may give you one or two kind of lame explanations, but they may give you like a little bit of gold. Yeah, listen, when you did this one thing, it freaked out our one team because they misunderstood what you were saying and jumped to the wrong conclusion. So I'd be really careful about bringing up a topic like that or phrasing it that way for, for those kinds of folks. And then similarly, we have the benefit and the drawback of being connected to everyone at all times. So if you have those little strings you can pull on, see if you can talk shop with somebody and find out if they're willing to share what they're doing that works well. And I think the other thing that was kind of a revelation for me when I when I heard it said, I mean, it's not that groundbreaking, but I remember vividly going to a conference and there was a, an agency owner named Richard Banfield who used to run a shop called Fresh Tilled Soil. And he got up, he's like, listen, there's enough work for everybody. We don't have to be out here competing with one another as if there's a limited amount of work and we're all in a scarcity here that we're all competing over. He's like, if all we did was pound on our own Rolodexes, all the business you could ever want is in your existing Rolodex. You just need to go and mine it. There's more opportunity out here than you could ever want. There's plenty. And I think because people don't perceive it that way, sales tends to be the thing that they're a little bit more tight-lipped about. They see that as, well, that's our competitive advantage is we have this cool thing we do in sales where you know we do a backflip at the end and everybody <laughs> applauds. Like There's a little bit of, oh, I'll tell you everything you want to know about our project management process. I'll, I'll spill my guts about the way that our dev team works and I'll share everything about, you want to know what our like proposal looks like? You want to like, kiss my wife? What the hell are we talking about here? 
Like it's it's amazing how people get freaked out about that because they see it as that's the secret sauce, man. Like there's no way I could I would ever share that with somebody. But rarely that's where the innovation is, though. Dude, right? I am out <laughs> here looking at these things and I try to find an opportunity to break people's hearts and say, listen, you're not doing anything special. Well, that's you're not part doing of- anything anybody else isn't doing, doing yeah. the same. I went out of my way in the past couple of years to work with other client services organizations outside of digital in the hope, please, God, let there be something that they're doing that we're not doing. I worked with a, a multinational commercial architecture firm here in Philadelphia called WRT. They're like a thing. They are an institution. And I went in thinking, oh, this is going to be great. Think about like the scale of what they do and the complexity of what they do and all the moving parts. And there's going to be some thing that they can see because they have ultraviolet vision that I can't see that I can learn from. And they're the same damn things agencies are doing. They're just doing it sometimes with more resources, sometimes slightly differently, but they have a blog and they have a pitch and they have marketing and they have outbound and they have they have accounts and they have retainers and they have a client service. They have all the same moving parts. They just have some of the dials dialed up differently, some of the dials dialed down differently, but there's no secret, ooh, they do this thing that we've never known. They have a Twitter, they have an Instagram. Like, or, Jesus, or they could be the they could be doing all those things, but also doing the thing that you said, which is connecting and reconnecting with your existing network, doing those right things, but attributing the success to the other things, the, oh, sure, the more sure. glamorous things. And not yeah, necessarily yeah, and like, like the hard work of, yeah. of doing of doing sales, of of reaching out to people yeah. and sharing your value and how you can help them. A hundred percent. And in the architecture world, it's crazy because they'll design the whole thing and then you buy the design. Like their their life is speculating on, do you want to buy this thing that we made the blueprints for? This work so, is the, oh, so it's all spec work? Oh yeah. All oh, the way wow. through, baby. Like all the way. And millions of dollars a year spent in this because they do the drawings and they do the drawings and then they sell the drawing. They sell the drawings. Unless you're Frank Geary and you're building houses where the roofs leak because you can get away with it and you're like a visionary. If you're anybody else, you're selling drawing. Architectural renderings is what you're seller, selling in a lot of cases or like a, a mock-up. But the mock-ups are not hit a button on the AutoCAD and it just renders. This is time spent doing that. The biggest aha moment I had in the relationship side of things was working with traditional full service agencies, historic, old school, date back to Mad Men, that kind of MO, full service advertising agencies, they get it. They get the value of client services, account services, retained relationships. And it makes sense. The the old models still perpetuate and they come from a place where their goal was to win the Subaru account and have the Subaru account for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And in those 10 years, they ran creative in terms of advertising and marketing and everything for on Subaru's behalf. There's an amount of ownership of that that was profound when they would have those kind of agency of record relationships. So in order to grab and grow and develop and maintain those relationships. If you crack open a full service agencies and look inside, if there's 60 people working there, 30 of them are in some version of sales. 30 of them are account services, business development, strategy, whatever. But half of the organization is sales. Half of the organization is delivery. You go to any web shop and it's the ratio of salespeople to non-salespeople is 18 to 1, 25 to 1. It's, it's an insane variation on the theme. And then, oh, but our project managers are... No, no, they're not. Our project managers are our client services or our account management people. They are, but they're 
they're not playing with the full handbook that true full-service account managers play with. It is an amazing ground game that they roll out in that vein. And and Ryan, you and I worked at a place where we would often say ourselves, no, 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 we don't have like account managers and project We have project managers and they are account managers, are client-facing, and they do a great job. If a client has a need, they'll grab it, they'll bring it back, we'll talk about it. If And that's great, but that's, that's very reactive. That's very staying in a position where you might receive some leads. And right. what agencies do is they go in front of the people they work with, they pitch the things that they want to do for them. They just, they have a vision for where this needs to go. They lead them into the work that they want to do. They're not just hoping that someone will mention in a meeting that they also want to re-platform this website over here and I'm going to follow up on that. That's great, but that's table stakes. That, that's just doing your due diligence and being good at listening. When On the full service side, man, they are out there leading and it's kind of breathtaking and, and terrifying in equal parts. So it, the full service agencies, let's go to maybe a independent consultant or a small shop of two to three people. Maybe they're all designers or developers, but none of them really are business people, right? They just have so many people have found themselves in that position. What's something that the big, the, the full service agencies that, that have been around decades, what are they doing that a smaller shop can do? Is it something where they are becoming the agency of record for them and they are basically have an open, not an open tab, but they're, they hold the account and they do all yeah, yeah. the work and they're constantly recognizing recommending new things that they could do to help their clients yeah. versus just doing one and done work and letting the ship yeah. sail out to sea. Yeah. And I think we can and should steal all the moves out of that playbook that we can. And then they're not hard. It's not like it's it's some kind of three-dimensional chess they're playing here. I think the, the quickest and easiest thing that you can do if you're a single practitioner or you're a small team is realize that the person you're working with wants, to, wants the, this engagement with you to reflect positively on them. So how can you make it very, very easy for them? to understand what a positive outcome the two of you generated working together so they can bring that to their review with their boss six months from them. So if you can figure out a way to document that, put it in a nice PDF with your company's logo on it and ship that over to them as a report, as a diagnosis, as a, as a postmortem, as a, as a well visit, you know, whatever you want to look at it as. If you can diagram for them, here's all the stuff we did together in the course of this project. Here's the hallmarks of it being successful. We came in at budget. We came in on time. We had three issues that we figured out immediately, whatever. Diagram and document the successes in your engagement and make it painfully clear give it to them as a, this is just me being a good partner reporting what we did. Really what you're doing is you're giving them their own positive report card to hold up to somebody internally and say, look, we've been working with this small three-person team for a year and the page site loading is much faster. The We're seeing these numbers trending in the right direction in terms of site traffic. You know, we're our we're knocking down things out of our tech, whatever that is, whatever the small wins are, just organize them and communicate them and put them in their hands. And now it's, I thought that was a pretty good project, but actually it was a pretty great project. Because the other thing is you have to realize there are, in a lot of cases, again, this is a, a broad generalization, but in a lot of cases, clients will perceive anything that happens on a computer screen as kind of the same. They're all website people. So I bring that up because I see this a lot with SEO shops. SEO shops do an amazing job tracking exactly how much value they deliver. It's amazing. This is like all the data, all the numbers. It's bonkers. And it's 50 pages of reporting. That's what they make their money is in accounting for taking your money. And they're great at it. 
<laughs> so think about your client though. Here I have an SEO shop that I work with and I have a web agency I work with. And the SEO shop is giving me chapter and verse about how much value they're providing. And the web shop, I feel like it went well. Yeah. It didn't not launch on time. I even even like, though the web shop so, is actually making those nice SEO reports possible. Right. It can be. It, it, the web shop can have a very different role in all of this than you perceive, but it's they're, they're measuring it by pound. It's like they're buying tuna. It's like, look at, the, look at the document I got from these people and all the stuff that we did and all the dials we moved and the numbers we moved. And that's an infographic in it. Holy crap, look, an infographic. So that's what they expect too. You have to realize they've seen that. They've seen that artifact. They've seen that document. That's in their brains. So here you are sending them a seven bullet bulleted list from your project manager saying, this is what we did this week. I hope it went well, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, this other people, they gave me this pretty shiny thing with color on it and the data is extrapolate, whatever. So that is a thing that exists. That is part of how they perceive things sometimes. And if you're in that, if you're in that universe, you're competing with that without realizing it. That's what you're, that is, that is what you're being graded against. You know, it's not accurate. It's vastly different. An SEO shop versus a web shop versus a full service agency that's doing your marketing strategy. They're all different things, but they're all vendors, if nothing else. They all wind up in the vendor catalog. And then look, my, my, marketing agency took me out to dinner and they came here and did a big presentation on everything we did over the last year. And they pitched all these really cool ideas for what we could do next year. And they had all this great data about the, what we accomplished and they're taking our whole team out and they brought whatever the hell, you know, VR goggles. And I bumped into a wall and bippity, all that bullshit. That was cool. And then here's my SEO shop. And they gave me document after document after document that just shows how we're crushing it. They're crushing it. Everybody's crushing it. We couldn't be crushing it more. We're crushing it. And then here's the web shop. And they sent me a thank you email and they kind of turned Basecamp off while I wasn't paying attention and then snuck out the door. And then I guess the project's over. So part of what I want people to understand too is our shortcomings, especially in web, we are a victim of web success. That is part of what we are dealing with now is that this industry started in such a unbalanced way in terms of supply and demand. And there was infinite demand and finite supply and generations of agencies never had to sell a thing, never had to do outbound, never had to do lead gen. They just got lead. Everybody I talked to who has had an agency for more than five years, they tell me the same thing. Get me in the room and I can sell it. Get me in the room talking to people and I can make it happen. My heart, the hard part for me is like, we don't have enough leads. Give me a lead. I can nurture, I can nurture the lead. I can close the lead. I am great at that. But what we need is more leads. No, what you don't need is more leads. What you need is to sell. You need to actually get out there and start selling things and not just wait for the doorbell to ring and hope that it's a project that you want to work on. This is something that Greg Story, who led the Happy Cog Austin office when Ryan and I worked there, scared the hell out of me about this one day. He's, Listen, all we're getting are higher ed RFPs in the door. I Do you want to work for a company that just makes higher ed websites in a year? It's like, no. It's like, well, then we better find a way to do some other things because we're doing enough higher ed work that's attracting a lot of higher ed leads and we're going to wake up one day and we're going to be a higher ed shop. And then it's like, oh, hell no. So then how do we start reaching out to people and manufacturing new conversations, getting out there because inbound, inbound, inbound. And I think because there is a generation of agency owners that benefited from the rising tide of the industry and we're in this really advantageous position of not having to sell real hard, just having to close inbound leads. They never developed the sharp knives you need to have if you're a full service agency out there competing. If you're a PR and communications company, if you're an SEO shop, you're out there on those streets competing. And we just didn't have the benefit of learning those hard 
hard lessons. We were buoyed by this. And then we're like people that live in a bubble and don't have the right immune system when they walk outside. I don't know. Like I thought I would just walk in and I'd talk about our process and we'd, we'd get our SOW to be the most accurate to all the granular details of your specification. And we'd win the work because we were the rightest. Like, isn't that how we win? We're the most right. So we get the work. Yeah. It's like, no, because Accenture's here to kick your ass or some maniac management consulting firm or some big agency that's going to give the website for free. And they're here for your lunch, man. So it's not your fault. It's not people's fault that we didn't learn through trial and error and burn our hands on lots of stoves and develop all these instinctual survival habits. We were groomed like a hothouse flower, like we're little special orchids. And now what happens over time is you're, and I'm going to do a gesture with my hands that people can't see on a podcast, but the curve of your inbound leads kind of grows alongside your team if you're growing a team in a pleasant way. And then it does Joe is moving his hands up in a Superman-like manner. One is going higher and the other one's tailoring, kind of tapering off and getting level because your inbound leads grow along with you to a certain point and then they start to level off. And then they start to like not fit, fill the cup as much as they used to because of the people that would refer you to the work before. One out of five of them now left the industry into landscape architect. One out of five of them now got promoted so high up the food chain, they don't care about the website anymore. One of them made some other move that made them, they went into early retirement and they work at Comcast now and they don't work anymore. They just chill. And then two out of five of them are still doing it. And the five out of five you had four years ago is now two out of five and you never realized it. So now the inbound lead funnel is drying up because of things, because of life, because people just do their own thing. But as you were growing your agency, your network was growing and you were on the other side of that curve. Your network was, was getting larger and they were growing into more responsibility. And the sin that we all, that a lot of agency owners commit or a lot of teams or a lot of practitioners commit is that they over attribute their success to their own credentials and qualifications and mm -hmm. good work is the best business development. Look, we were a three-person shop and we did $30,000 projects and did great work. And then they referred us and we grew and now we're a eight-person shop and we're doing 75K projects. And now we grew and did better work and we unlocked more clients. And now we're a 15-person shop doing 150K work. And part of it is that good work is the best business development because if you suck, then the phone stops ringing. But part of it is that then I saw this point blank when I was at Happy Cog, there was a client that had hired Happy Cog in 2006 or seven to work on a small New York based AIDS nonprofit to do a website redesign. And that was probably like a $35,000, $40,000 project. And then in 2014, maybe 2013, same client, same person reaches out again. Now they're at a global economic think tank foundation operating with many more zeros and they want to work together again. And my winning, when I was the sales guy, winning that project that I think at the time was north of $500,000 had a lot more to do with how smart that person was on the other end and how he grew in his career and went from working at a small nonprofit to working in this amazing institution. And he's a badass. And I happened to be one of the knuckleheads in his Rolodex. And he reached back out to us. And I was fortunate enough to be in that, that continuum of unlocking bigger projects and better clients. Part of it is we did good work and we stayed under consideration. Part of it is that person's amazing. They grew in their career. They got to a position where they could hire us for much better work. It's as much about them as it is about me. And maybe more about them than it is about me. If he doesn't kick ass and wind up in that job, then he's reaching out to us, you know, five years later to do a, a slightly different nonprofits website. And it's the same size project with the same kind of budget. And my agency is the same kind of agency, but because he's awesome and he just matured. And that's like, they don't even be special just to grow in their careers and gain more authority and gain more maturity and then advance. As they advance, that tide raises. And if you're in their little Rolodex, you benefit from that. But someday that tide is going to start to dry, not dry up, but it starts to slow down because people are leaving the pool. They go and 
get a different job and leave the industry. They decide to do something else or they're not caring about the website anymore. And that thing that had been propelling you forward is now starting to just not deliver as much. And you've grown your team to be 15 people in that time. And now you're much more responsible and exposed. And, and as that slows down, you're, it, the danger is much more acute. So what you need to do to forestall that is get serious about selling things while the sun is shining so that when things start to dry up, they don't. When this lead, when these relationships start to erode as they might in the course of time, you have new ones. You have relationships, you have retainers, you have long-standing engagements, you have the habit of meeting new people and, and getting the message out. You're publishing content. Whatever it is you're doing, you're doing the things you need to do to replenish and replenish and replenish because it's a wave. And when the wave crests and ends, it's over. So you need to make sure that you can just keep perpetuating the wave, keep pushing it out. Yeah. And I agree with you that people tend to overly attribute their success to themselves. And mm -hmm. getting back to what we were talking about before, I think people also tend to overly attribute their failures to themselves. Sure. And, and you That's know, that exactly can make the them a little fair. reticent yeah. to go for it and get the pitch. And just understand yeah. that in addition to requiring good amount of honesty, you also just have to realize a lot of times it's not about you. Whether it's the success or the failure, a lot of the times it's just not about you. And I agree with your manager at Happy Cog when it's something that I tell people all the time in different contexts is that you become the work that you do. So if you yeah. end up taking lots of nonprofits yeah, yeah, yeah. or this, that, or the other thing, that's what you're going to get good at. That's what you're going to be yeah. known for. That's what you're going to yep. be doing. And if yeah, you want to be 100%. doing different stuff, you can consciously change what it is that you're working on. If I don't enjoy doing this, that, or the other thing, or if I feel I need more variety, Variety, well, make a conscious effort to diversify what it is that you do. And the only other thing I want to add real quick, Joe, is that, you know, when you're talking these stories about the, the web company and the advertising company and the SEO company, at least in my experience, usually the way it goes with the SEO company is they screw me and they don't even buy me dinner is usually kind of how that ends up. <laughs> Andrew's it's, not a fan of uh, SEO companies, I don't think. Fair enough, fair enough. Hey, you know, you know I, there are some very good legitimate SEO companies. The reason I am not a fan is that I am in that space and the amount of snake oil that is out there is just incredible. It's very similar to the diet pill industry where a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of these companies, they're just running, they've got their Moz or their Semra subscription and they run the report and they give it to the client and they don't add any kind of value whatsoever. As but, somebody that spent five years as a recruiter, I can speak from experience coming from an industry with a lot of bad operators and trying to figure out how to do things the right way, despite the fact that the, the industry is pitched in a certain way. So I, I can relate. But yeah. Andrew, to, to Joe's point earlier, is that the, an SEO company they show the work. Maybe not necessarily their work, as you know, someone that- Oh yeah, Andrew, I didn't say they didn't do an effective- You've done a lot of I technical didn't... SEO, right? You know like the work that is involved in me, but they show that I didn't say they work. didn't do an effective job screwing you, Ryan. I just said that they screwed you. <laughs> That's right. Can I tell one quick story? Yeah, that we're it. kind of at our time. All right, but I think this story would reassure somebody who, to Andrew's point, may be beating themselves up too much for a perceived failure. Like I think that's, I agree entirely that there's also a lot of just, you know, how can I kick myself in the nuts hard enough over what I screwed up in that sales conversation? I talked to one of my one of my clients, one of their clients, right? So I was working with an agency and I'm interviewing clients that had worked with them before. And now I'm talking to somebody who had considered them, but had gone in another direction. And my agency had connected us because they loved this person and loved this project and it really killed them. They didn't get a chance to work on it and not for nothing. They'd love to figure out more why they didn't get the work. And this person was game to have the conversation. We get to talking and, and he explained to me, you know, so 
why is it in so many words, why did you choose somebody else? Like, and, and, or, you know, how did you, how did you feel about agency XYZ compared to the agency you selected? He's like, well, we liked the, that's the agency you're working with. We liked them more. They were our preferred partner. But you know what happened? The other people that we wound up working with, we, we really were struggling with them to figure out elements of their proposal. There were parts of it that we just could not get to the bottom of and we couldn't figure it out and we couldn't figure it out. We had all these conversations with them about figuring it out and figuring it out and getting more detail and getting more clarity to the point where after two or three weeks of kind of intensively ping-ponging back and forth with these folks, kind of felt like we knew them better and we went with our second choice because we were just more fluent with them and felt like the momentum was flowing in that direction and we didn't go with the people we wanted to work with because of this kind of gravitational pull we had. So that, that's terrifying. That's terrifying that the agency that is, to me, in there explaining this to me, killing themselves, that they can't figure out what they did wrong that led to them not working with this client, that if you put a gun to their head, they would have said, I, I think we, we're going to crush this. We have this. Like, there's no way we're not going to win this work. And then the reason they didn't win the work was because of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. Like, you just wound up like, <laughs> stuck in a room with them long enough that they didn't they didn't terrify you anymore and you just kind of <laughs> hunkered down. So that's, that is a prime example of these decisions get made for lots of strange reasons. And we don't perceive all of them. And I also think to Andrew's point, I would also, in my anecdotal experience, say that most agencies I work with jump to the most negative conclusion possibly without data. With no news, they they, they imagine the worst. Haven't heard from them in like a week, they must hate our guts. They haven't responded to this email, they must have picked somebody else. They have Everybody I work with has this habit of lurching into those just worst case scenario hypotheticals about what's happened. And you know, it's not always wrong, but it's certainly not always right. And it's just people making complex decisions they've never made before or only made once or twice. And they're motivated by fear. Bees and dogs and clients can smell fear. That is what is perpetually a part of this dynamic is fear, fear all the way through. I wish, I wish that most clients picked the agency they felt raised the ceiling the highest it could possibly be raised in the potential of the work. A lot of clients pick the agency that raises the floor as high as it could possibly be without ever falling below it. I just want to lock in the highest floor possible. If this thing fails, I want it to fail as a C plus, not as an F. I just want to fail with a passing grade. I don't, I would love to pick somebody that could achieve an A. That'd be cool. I can't afford to take the chance on that weirdo that might achieve an A. I need to go with, Ryan, to your point, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM. I need to go with, I feel safe. It feels secure. They've done this before. They've done it 10 times. I, I feel like as we're, as bad as it could go, it could only go so bad. And these other folks, they're a little bit more out there. I don't really know what it could be. They scare me too much. I'm going to go in this other direction. That, that's part of this process, unfortunately. Yeah, Ryan is very experienced at getting the job by being mediocre. <laughs> you know, that's his MO. <laughs> And Andrew had to get one in. I was about to wrap up the podcast and Andrew just, he found, found an opening. He's been holding it go. in the whole time. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Well, Joe, I, I, I hope that LeBron James takes your advice and hopefully listens to this podcast. And perhaps one day we'll see uh, King James Design and Development as mm -hmm. one of the next big New York-based agencies. Well, that only about help. wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, tell a friend. Drop us a review. We really appreciate it. And it does help us reach more people like you. So for the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Ryan Ireland. I'm Andrew Welch. And thank you to Joe Rinaldi from That Was Clutch for being on the show. Thanks, y'all.
I, I agree, yeah. man. I'm I'm a fan of the power of anger for sure. It's I'm trying to in my middle Look age. Ryan. I'm trying to ad- adopt the power of non-anger a little bit. I have yeah. a playlist on Spotify called like um was it appropriately like angry music, like not inappropriate. Like I feel like when I started to work out again, at some point my phone was going to say like looks like you're listening to 9-inch nails. We're going to just like put the ambulance on standby that at your age, having not listened to nine inch nails for 10 years, and now you're suddenly listening to it. Like you may be minutes away from some kind of cardiac episode. So we're just going to dial nine and one and like get ready to press the next one just in case. And we're going to like look at the the band on your watch to make sure that you haven't like caved over and died. Just stick with the Miley Cyrus. That's what you should do. Stick, stick with that. It's, she's mad. Part of it is like, but she's not, she's not going to give you a heart attack. It's my I don't kids have <laughs> Not in that. She almost gave me a heart attack at, at ACL this year, this last year. All right. I'm going to stop mm. the recording before Ryan relates this story. <laughs> That's right. She had... Um...